A movie that I enjoy watching with my kids is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I mean, this title alone is pretty great, isn't it? And we, uh, we watch Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs from time to time, part one or part two. And if you've never seen the movie, it's a story of a, of a guy named Flint Lockwood. He's an inventor who wants to uh, broaden the, the menu in his neighborhood. So he creates this machine that could basically print out food. And one day, the machine goes haywire, shoots into the sky, and there's this cloud of sorts that opens in the sky, and it begins to rain down food. At first, the people are excited. I mean, they got cheeseburgers, meatballs coming out, and just this grand menu. But, but after a while, the food becomes too much, and it begins to kind of evolve and take on a monstrous mindset. And, and the whole story is about them trying to figure out what to do to close off this vacuum so it's no longer cloudy with a chance of meatballs. You know, that, that movie, is just, it's a fun movie. And a, a forecast of meatballs sounds good sometimes when uh, our life's forecasts say something different. Uh, we, we know when there's times our, our life has uh, the forecast of scattered storms, isolated showers, and it's hard. It's hard when we look to the skies of our life and we long to see the sun shine. But instead, when you look up, all you can see is a, do- a dark cloud hovering over your head. You even see a few bolts of lightning, and then the showers come down. Life's forecasts don't always look as appealing as meatballs. Sometimes they're, they're, quite, they're quite burdensome. We started the brook nearly three years ago because we understand that the human life is filled with isolated thunderstorms. And we want people to know that there is an anchor in our lives that will always hold in the midst of a storm. And so we, from day one, said we want to put the spotlight on Jesus because he is immovable. He is the rock that won't move, and we can trust in him. And we made it our desire then to not just create a, to, to start a church, but to multiply disciples. That's followers of Jesus. We want to teach you the, the truths of God's word. We want to teach you how to pray. We want to teach you how to tell other people about Jesus. We want to teach you how to live in community, which means sometimes you get your feelings hurt, and other times you're able to love on each other, you laugh together, you cry together. We want to teach each other to surrender our lives and raise our white flags. We want to multiply disciples. We also want to multiply churches at the brook. And we, we don't want this to be a secret. From day one, we, we want to start new churches. That is our, that's our plan. That's our desire. And we want to start churches in other communities. And we've said it before, there's going to come a day where I'm going to stand up here and call you to leave what is comfortable to start a new church with someone that we have trained up here at the brook. And we long for that day to happen. And that's because we believe there is a Jesus who is the answer to the storms of life. And it can hold us in the midst of it. And there are people around us who don't know that. And they need to hear it. And maybe you're here today, you need to hear that. Maybe you look up and there's just a dark cloud. And maybe it's been there for a very long time. I want you to hear today, there's an anchor. There's an anchor who was immovable. If you're searching out the Christian faith and maybe you're exploring, maybe you're trying to find answers You're at the right place. We want the brook to be a a safe place 
where you can explore Jesus. But it's also going to be a place where we challenge you to surrender your life to him. And there are others of us who get stagnant sometimes. And we're just so used to the storms, we don't necessarily even think about Jesus. We just kind of plow through it. We, we try to make things happen. Or sometimes we try to push it aside through different hobbies and activities, different addictions, and different ways we cope with the clouds. And I want you to know that that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to look to the heavens and see that he remains immovable and that he can be your anchor in the midst of the storm. When we become stagnant, we're like that piece of bread left on the counter for a few days. It started out beautiful, nice and soft, and heart is soft, and, and you're just you know, loving it. It's great. But after we stay in that counter and we're not looking to Jesus as our anchor, our hearts become stale and hardened and crumble away. Don't crumble. There is an anchor who holds, who can keep your heart soft. That's why we want to point you back to the cross of Jesus. It's the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save sinners like you and me. And we want you to be gospel fluent in a way that affects your day-to-day lives. Like when your boss is just unreasonable. We want you to know that the truth of the cross of Jesus says something about that. Reminding you that your boss is not your boss on earth. There's one in the heavens who you don't have to work for his approval because your approval is based on his son Jesus. And your reward is not on a paycheck, but it's in heaven. We, We want you to know that the gospel means something when your marriage is on the rocks and you feel distant, that there is a bridegroom in the heavens who is wooing you to himself and can bring healing and wholeness in the home. There is a God who, when the finances are being stretched, will tell you, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Will you trust me? I took care of you through the cross of my son. I will take care of you now. Look at the birds of the field. They're eating. How much more so will I care for you? The gospel means something. When there are unmet desires, maybe you desire that romantic relationship and that desire is being unmet. There is a lover of your soul who came to this earth to win you to himself. And he says, I can fulfill your needs. See, the gospel means something in our day-to-day lives. So when the storms are going over your head, Jesus says something. And he says, I am here. But the question is, will you trust him? I love to vacation in Florida. And one thing Floridians will tell you is how random it is when it rains. I mean, sometimes it's sunny and you're like, this is great. Let's go to the park, the water park or amusement park. And you show up and all of a sudden there's a cloud. You're like, what? Really? And you look down in distance and it's sunny everywhere else. And you look and there's a cloud there. You're like, really? Is this this seriously happening? And then it goes away and you're good. And then it comes back and you're like, this is so ridiculous. And sometimes we become fed up with life like that. We're like, why is everyone else's life sunny and this cloud is just right here? You been there? Why is it raining in my circle and I step over here and the cloud moves like in the commercials, I mean the, the cartoons? But you know, storms are part of life. Our health does fail. We get those unwanted diagnoses. Death hits close to home. We feel rejected. And the question is, when forecast of life reads scattered storms, where's your hope, family? Where's your hope? We find ourselves in the book of Mark today. I want to tell you about this anchor. Mark chapter 4, verse 
35 through 41. Jesus had spent some time here on a day teaching disciples, teaching followers, teaching crowds about him. And in Mark chapter 4, we see the content of his teaching. We find ourselves in Mark 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And it's yours if you don't own a Bible. That's our gift to you. Mark chapter 4, it's towards the end of your Bible. If anyone has that page number on the pew Bibles, can you tell us what it is? 839? Thank you. And we see in verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come. On that day refers to the day Jesus was out teaching all these crowds. And so many people came to him, and he needed to get some distance from them so his voice could project. And he tells his disciples, get a boat for me. I'm going to stand in the boat a little bit off of the shore, and I'm going to teach from inside of the boat. It's going to give me the space I need so my voice can project. And he began to tell them about the kingdom of God. He began to tell them that there is a king, and it is God Almighty, and he has come to lead people. And there is a message of the kingdom, and that's the message of this good news, that Jesus came to die for us. And Jesus began to teach people and telling them to put their faith in him. It was on that day, verse 35, takes place. The time of the day says is evening, which means Jesus had been teaching all day. Now, I know after a long day of work, many of us, most of us, if not all of us, are quite exhausted. If you have a job, if you're an, an educator in a school, and you're teaching, your voice is tired at the end of a day. You're talking, you're teaching, you're reprimanding, you're con- uh, conversating, and you're just exhausted. Many of you do that on your feet all day. And so you can understand what Jesus is going through, teaching to the crowds, probably numbering into thousands without amplification systems. He's trying to project. And at the evening time came, he, he's tired. He's tired. Verse 35, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake, that is. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. We're about to see a faith-defining moment for the disciples. And I want you to hear this point, that faith-defining moments are faith-refining moments. Your faith is defined as your faith is being refined. We can all have a great definition of faith, when life is sunny, but it's when the clouds come that your faith gets refined and then the true definition of that faith comes to the surface. And it's interesting here, Jesus says to them, let's go to the other side. Jesus tells them, hey, let's get into the boat. He's got a plan and he's not afraid to bring hardship. On that day, he took them into the boat, and they went to the other side. And what they've been learning about God is about to be put into practice, and the validity of their faith is about to be revealed. Jesus wants to make sure that teaching and learning family doesn't get stuck in classrooms or bedrooms, in in an office on your desk studying. But it mattered on the seashores of Galilee as much as it matters in the pavement of Chicago or the classrooms of CPS 
or the office building downtown, or the homes in Elmwood Park, or the blocks of Montclair and Dunning. The, the Christian faith matters beyond the classroom and into life. And Jesus is helping them see here at this moment that all I've taught you is good, but now you've got to put it into work. There are a few things, family, that are more dangerous than someone who can discuss God but can't trust God. There are a few things more dangerous than someone who can express the gospel but not rest in the gospel. You see, God, God wants us to be able to not just share, and that's good. We've got to learn. We've got to get in the classroom and to study and dig. But we've got to go beyond that and let it live into our lives. And sometimes God thrusts that upon us. And Jesus never coddles us. He allows trials in our lives to refine our faith and therefore define our faith. It says in verse 37, A great wind storm arose when they were on the boat, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So the story changes really quick. From the Jesus teaching again, a boat, and bam, a storm hits them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it says there in verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion in the boat. Jesus is there asleep. Before I would get to the details of that, do you find it interesting that Jesus is asleep? It's the Son of God. Jesus, you spoke this world into existence, and you're sleeping? And, and we learn an important truth here. That when Jesus, who is truly God, came to this earth, he became truly man as well. And it's evidenced on the fact that he chooses to sleep. He's choosing to sleep there with them. Sometimes you need to rest as well. Some of us go hard too much. And John Ortberg, a pastor, once said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And some of y'all need a nap. I've seen you before. You get cranky, all moody and whatnot, go, go take a nap. Jesus tells us here, it's okay to take a nap. He needed to get away from the crowds. Not that they were a nuisance, not that he was sick of them. He came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But he was tired. He needed a nap. And the only way to get that nap was to get out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a boat. Some of you wish you had a boat, don't you? Just lock your door and sleep. We see not only that faith-defining moments are faith-refining moments, but we also see that God brings storms into our lives to refine our faith and not remove it. God is not against you. He's not trying to make you frustrated and discouraged and give up. He's trying to draw out the purity of your faith and help you rest in him. And so here this great windstorm arrives. That word windstorm could also be translated hurricane. Now they're not near an ocean, but they're hurricane-like winds that are happening here in the Sea of Galilee. Mount Hermon was, not, was about 30 miles away. And the cold air from Mount Hermon with the warm air from the Sea of Galilee would get together oftentimes, and even to this day, and create wicked storms. And of course, 
fishermen knew this. But it says here that the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already, can you say already? It was already filling. You've been in a boat perhaps, and you felt where the waves start moving and your boat starts to rock and you start feeling a little unsure of yourself if you're not used to being in a boat. But if you've ever been in a boat and the waves start crashing, then you're scared. And the waves began to crash. They weren't just moving. It was, it was breaking. The storm was there, and the boat was already beginning to fill. And I was wondering, like, why, why say already as opposed to when else? And I think what Mark is trying to tell us is by the time it began to wake Jesus up, the boat was already filling up with water. Before they tried to, to get him involved, like they were perhaps trying to bail water out. They had their buckets. They're like, man, poor Jesus, has been, he's been preaching all day. Let's not wake him up if we don't got to. They're bailing water, and it's already, it's filling. The storm was taking its toll on the boat, and it was beginning to fill. But we see this detail in the story that lo and behold, Jesus is in the stern of the boat sleeping on a cushion. Not, not only is he in the stern of the boat where they perhaps he should have been in the main cabin bailing water, but not only is he on the, in the stern, but he's in the stern of sleep. And not only is he asleep, but he's got a nice cushion underneath his head. Almost to add insult to injury as the disciples are panicking around him. You ever have that when someone's taking a nap when chaos is breaking on the home? You say, like, yeah, really? You know? You hear that from young parents where the baby's crying and one of them is sleeping in the bed and the other one's just looming over them like, are you not hearing this? And undoubtedly, this is how the disciples felt with Jesus. Are you really sleeping in the midst of this storm? But, you know, as going back to what I started at, the forecast said scattered storms for them as it does for you in your life. And when the storms of life hit you, what are you doing at that moment? Have the winds of fear or the rains of hardship or the waves of doubt threatened to capsize your faith? Like, like are you ready to give up because it's hard right now? Or do you feel like God is taking a nap on you in the midst of your struggle? Do you feel like he's not listening? Do you feel like he's forgotten? Do you feel like God doesn't care about you? You see, because right at this moment, the disciples did. And we know this by what they told Jesus. Check this out here. Verse 38. As he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, they woke him. And they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, don't you care about us? Jesus, don't, don't you care that this boat is about to capsize? And you have the nerve to sleep, teacher? It's interesting to call him teacher. Because that's what he was to them at that moment. But remember, it was Jesus who put them into the boat, into the sea, and brought the storm so they could see that he is far more than teacher. And he brings storms into your life so you can see him for who he truly is. I find that 
there are two different ways we tend to respond to hardship in our life. And I want you to think about if you're in this place or if you've been in this place. On the one hand, we know that Jesus is God. We know he is powerful. But sometimes we just feel like he doesn't care. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's got more important things to take care of. So we think on the one hand, he doesn't care. And some of us, some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we might not want to voice this, but some of us might think he's just not able to do it. This this circumstance is so bad, this might be out of Jesus' reach. And whether or not you think he can't or you think he won't, It's shown in a variety of ways. If you find yourself in the midst of a storm refusing to pray, it's because Jesus can't or won't in your mind. If you find yourself in the midst of the storm stressed out as anybody's business, it's because you believe Jesus can't or he won't. If you find yourself trying to make your own way when life is hard, it's because Jesus can't or won't in your mind. When you find yourself complaining to other people and not talking to God, it's because he can't. And he won't in your mind. When you throw in the towel, it's because you believe Jesus can't help you or he won't help you. Because if Jesus can and if he will, we will come to him. That's why I love that dance that Maricel did. When God doesn't move the mountains or part our waters, will we still trust in him? We can trust in him because we believe he can. We will trust him because we believe he will guide us through the storm. And just because Jesus doesn't answer us in the timing we want, in the ways that we want, doesn't mean he's not concerned. He was asleep in the storm, and the disciples said, Teacher, don't you care about me? God, don't you care about me? Don't you care that I'm sad? Don't you care I've got unanswered prayers, God? Don't you care I have unmet desires? Don't you care that I'm suffering? Don't you care that my loved one is suffering? Don't you care, God? And he cares. because He's an anchor. Gold is a precious metal, but its beauty is shown when it is refined. And it's refined under heat. And the heat melts away the impurities and causes the purity of the gold to rise to the surface. And when you go to a jewelry store and you see gold, you're seeing refined gold that's attractive and beautiful and strong. And God wants your faith to be his gold. And that means the heat sometimes. See, the storm is to refine your faith, not to remove your faith. God is not abandoning you in the storm. He's with you in the storm. He's not answering your prayer the way you want and when you want because he's accomplishing a purpose in that storm. And when we bail out, we are short-arming God's ability or God's desired work, I should say, in our lives. We're preventing the refining when God wants to do just that. See, ultimately what happens is storms reveal what we believe about Jesus. You see, Jesus here, at that moment, the disciples rebuked him. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, in verse 39, awoke, and he rebuked what? The wind. And said to the sea, peace, and be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
You've seen those keep calm memes? They probably found their origin here. Keep calm. Jesus is here. He got up from his cushioned sleep in the stern of the boat, and he rebukes the wind and the sea. He says, peace, be still, and lo and behold, the the seas obey Jesus. But I can't help but see in the rebuke of the sea, I see a subtle rebuke of his disciples. The very thing the sea did is the very thing the disciples weren't doing, and that was having peace and being still. And that's what God wants for you to do in the midst of your storms is to have peace and be still because you know that Jesus is in control. And he looks at them in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear, a greater fear than the storm because they're like, this storm was, was crazy. We're fishermen. We know a bad storm. We knew this is the kind of storm that ends people's lives, even fishermen. But now I'm really afraid. Because he just told it to be quiet. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, in verse 40, Jesus noticed their fear, and that's when he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And when we don't look to him in the midst of the storm and trust him, it says something about where our faith is at. And Jesus says to the disciples, you still have no faith? And again, that word still, I'm like, why still, Jesus? And perhaps Jesus is thinking, remember when I, I healed the paralytic, the man who couldn't walk and his friends brought him in, down from the rooftop? You were with me there. You were with me when I cast out the demons. You were with me when I taught what I taught from God and his word. And you still don't believe? Jesus rebukes them and tells them this is a matter of faith. When our forecast reads scattered storms, it becomes a matter of faith for you. Where is your faith? And I said at the beginning, I want you to know that you can trust in Jesus as the anchor in the midst of the storm. Now the question is why? Why can we trust him? We see something beautiful about Jesus' identity here in this passage. We see that Jesus is truly man, asleep, tired from a long day. But we see that he is truly God, calming the storm with his word. In in theology, the intermingling of Jesus' divine and human nature is, is called the hypostatic union. And theological words are important because they help us contain concepts Otherwise, we're trying to explain something over five, seven sentences. But more important than the term hypostatic union, as important as it is, is to understand what it means. The word hypostatic is a Greek word meaning personal, and it's a personal union. And in Jesus, the God-man, we see the personal union of his humanity and his divinity. He wasn't half man and half God. He wasn't man when he's tired and God when he's not. He was always fully man. He was truly God, 100% man, 100% God, intermingled in his beautiful, personal, hypostatic union. And because Jesus is truly God and truly man, he can sympathize with your fears, and he can also deliver to calm you. You know, sometimes when we're going through trials, God removes the storm and calms the storm. And sometimes in the trial, he calms your heart. And the storm lingers and you're saying, I'm still trusting in him. 
Our storms don't have deadlines, expiration dates. Sometimes we don't know. In some of our storms, this is just life. This, this is until we see glory. But you don't have to be in disarray and dismayed and panicking throughout all of life if that's your storm. But you can say, Jesus, I know you can calm my heart in this storm so that I can see the light of day and your goodness and your beauty in the midst of my trial. Jesus, you are the God-man. You are the God-man who could be trusted. And Mark 4 shows us this beautiful identity of our Savior. David Mathis writes this about the hypostatic union. He says, Jesus had two complete natures, one fully human and one fully divine. What the doctrine of hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in one person, in the God-man. Jesus is not two persons. He is one person. The hypostatic union is the joining of the divine and the human in one person of Jesus. And because of that, he can be your anchor. No one else can take on that identity. And no one else can be immovable in the midst of life's storms. The disciples see Jesus calm the storm and they ask, who then is this? You know, I, I think that we need those who then is this moment sometimes. Because it forced them to go back to the drawing board. See, the storm came and they failed. They just straight up failed. They panicked. You've done that before? You fail in the midst of a test and you know, man, that was a test from God. I got an F minus. I panicked. I doubted God. I complained. I, I, I peaced out on him. And he stood there with me. I totally failed that, God. And the disciples failed that. And they're looking. They're soaked from the rains. The, the storm has stopped. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, oh, something else was going on here. Who then is this? And they went back to the drawing board. Some of us know so much about God in the Bible that, that we, we stop going back to this drawing board. And we just think we know all the right answers. One thing that Erica and I, when we see this in our children, we're, we pay very close attention to them when they take a know-it-all mindset. Because the minute you know it all, that means you don't need Jesus. And it could be with school, it could be with sports, it could be with anything. But when you see that in your heart or in the heart of your child, you need to call that out. Because when you know it all, you don't go back. And you can say, oh, I know Jesus will calm the storm. Yeah, but you're in the storm. Are you trusting him? I know you can come through, but are you actively saying, God, help me through this? Don't just examine the text. Examine your heart and say, God, what's going on here? And there are others of us who don't know much about Jesus. Maybe you're very young in the faith, or maybe, as I said earlier, you're exploring the faith. Know that Jesus is the God-man. And when you fail in that storm, go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I failed. And here he is there with open arm. And through you repenting, turning from your sin, asking his forgiveness, he says, I forgive you. Trust me again. Trust me again. Go back to the drawing board. That's what the Oklahoma City Thunder did against the San Antonio Spurs. Two basketball teams in the NBA playoffs Opening game of this series, the San Antonio Spurs beat the Thunder by 32 points. They blew them out of the water. 
And of course, as sports commentators do, they start doubting the losing team. Like, oh, they don't have what it takes. They don't have the courage. They're, they're phonies. They're, you know, they, they choke under pressure. And one of the reporters interviewed the star player to Thunder, Russell Westbrook. And he said this. He says, well, now we've got to get back to the drawing board and see what we've got to do better to get ready for game two. He goes on to say, we need to come out and play with a different mindset. We need to come out and play with a different mindset. Last week, the Thunder eliminated the Spurs from the playoffs because they changed their game plan. What's your game plan for the storms of your life? When you've failed before and you know hard is coming, what's your game plan? Jesus is telling you, change that mindset that blames God and turns away from him and doesn't see him refining your faith and hold on to the anchor. Go back to the drawing board. No matter how much you know about Jesus or the Bible, go back and let Jesus be your anchor. When the forecast of your life reads scattered storms, where will your hope be? I wanted to give you six ways to make Jesus your anchor. I'm going to go through these with somewhat quickness. I want you to write these down. Because if you're in a storm, you need to go to this. And if you're not in a storm, I promise you, it's coming. Bob Lapine, a radio host of Family Life, he was out talking to married couples, but this is true for all of life. And he says, hard is coming. And that doesn't mean we become like real pessimistic with life, like, oh, life's going to suck anyway, and you go on about it. No, it's just to say, hard is coming, and prepare for it. You remember fire drills at school? How many of you actually had a fire in your school? Very few of us, if any. But fire drills were there to make sure we knew what to do when hard came. And this is part of the fire drills for you. Six ways we make Jesus our anchor. And the first one is this. I've already mentioned most of these, but I want to reiterate them. The first one is to be careful to not only examine the text, but also examine your heart. Don't only examine the text, but also examine your heart. Don't just be able to discuss God, but learn to trust God. Don't just express the gospel, but rest in the gospel. And we got to look in our hearts to say, God, am I trusting in you? And if we don't stop to ask those questions, say, when I responded that way to that person, there was some panic in my heart. God, why? So examine your heart. Secondly, you make Jesus your anchor by remembering that faith-defining moments are faith-refining moments. Jesus told them to go in the boat because he had a storm for them. And some of us don't like the fact that Jesus is the one who brings storms, but I'd much rather it God who brings the storms than the storms that just happen without God's knowing. I want a God who knows my trials. I want to serve a God who has a purpose in my hardship. And when you fight, and when you persevere in your faith, and when you endure, you are saying, God, refine this faith of mine. I don't want to be an inch deep in my faith, God. I want to see you get all the glory in the way that you sustain me in my storm. And I want people to look at my suffering and say that there must be a God because of the way I suffer in faith. 
because the world is watching. Faith-defining moments are faith-refining moments. Number three, prepare your faith now for trials that are yet to come. Prepare your faith now for trials that are yet to come. Build your faith on the rock that is Jesus. Grow in him. Get in the word. Know who he is. Savor his humanity and divinity beautifully put together. Trust in him in the small things, knowing that hard is coming. Peter and John, I think it's Acts 4, they're arrested and they're told, don't tell anybody about Jesus. They're threatened. And I think even in an instance, they were even beaten. And they go back to the church and they start praying. And you know what, you know what they pray for? They don't pray, God, take away my hardships. God, God, take away hard times. Make life easier. God, let it be sunny days 24-7. No. They said, God, give us boldness to declare the gospel. Because when we face hardship, we can oftentimes retract and say, I'm going I'm to hold back here. And God's saying, no, be bold for me. But we cultivate that in the sunny days so when the hard times come, we're ready And so maybe you're in your hard time and you didn't cultivate it and you're wheeling. And I pray that these words of truth would stabilize you in the midst of your storm and you would trust Jesus. Fourth, when your faith wavers, receive correction from God through his word and other people. Jesus rebuked the storms in that same way he rebuked his disciples. Don't you still have faith? Do you still have no faith? And sometimes when we failed, we need God to rebuke us. And we might need a brother or sister to come alongside and say, hey, I see you suffering, brother. I see you suffering, sister. And my heart goes out to you. But I don't think you're responding as God wants you to. And those are hard words to hear. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so we need to be people who are willing to hear correction when our faith is wavering. And instead of blaming, doubting, and questioning God, trusting in Jesus, who is working in the storm. Fifth, again, when faith is wavering, here's another point. Go back to the drawing board of who your faith is in. When you find yourself not praying, find yourself stressed out, making your own way, complaining, throwing in the towel, go back to the drawing board. Say, God, I know you're the same. You're good. You're faithful. Let me trust you there. Isn't it beautiful that though Jesus desired sleep badly, he selflessly sacrificed from sleep in order to save his disciples in the storm? In the same way, he selflessly came to this earth, taking on our human flesh in order to save us from sin and death? And so when we go back to the drawing board, the gospel informs us and says the same Jesus then is the one who's working now selflessly who came to die for us and saves us and we can trust him. And sixthly, lastly, let Jesus be your immovable anchor in the midst of the storm. When your boss is unreasonable and marriage is struggling and friends in all kinds of trials, look to Jesus, family. When Jesus is your anchor, you can have courage in the midst of chaos. 
and you can have faith in the midst of your fears because he will not move. He will not move. Church, if you're, if you're in a place of, of, of trial today, I, I want to, in a moment, I want to invite you to, to pray with somebody. We're going to have our prayer leaders come up in a few moments. But some of you are, are, are in a storm right now. And you feel you move to the right, the cloud follows you. You dash forward, the cloud follows you. And you're starting to become resentful toward God. I, I don't know who that is, but I know that happens. And you're, you're here today. And you're feeling that resentment toward God because he's not meeting you where you want him to be. You feel like he's asleep on a cushion. But remember, remember that Jesus was there at work even as he slept, refining their faith. So, so I want you to come up with a brother, men, and come up with a sister, ladies, and let them pray for you. Let them pray that your faith would not waver. Maybe there's someone in your life, and you know that their faith is just gone. They've shipwrecked. They've capsized. God is calling you to intercede for them, to step in that gap, I want you to come and let someone pray with you. And you don't need to share names if they're part of this church. We don't want to gossip here. But there are people that need you to step up for them because their faith is out. And so as we sing this last song, I, I, I pray and I hope that these words will be true for you. That when a storm comes, you can say, it is well with my soul because I know that my anchor holds in the midst of it. So let's rise to our feet, church family. I want to pray before we sing. Oh God, as we still our hearts here and quiet them before you, God, Help us examine our hearts right now, God. And Lord, I pray where faith is wavering, God, just pull away the distractions, God. Help them remember, Lord, that there is a God in the heavens whose love is perfect and wants to purify them as precious gold. God, for those whose hearts are just Right now, they want to come up for prayer in a moment, but they're doubting it. They're, they're, they're afraid. Maybe they're embarrassed. God, I pray that you would just strip that away and help them see it's between them and you right now. And that there is a brother or sister who wants to walk with them in that and pray with them. So I pray that fear would not stop them from coming to you. Father, for those people in our lives who've shipwrecked their faith and they're just wasting away and they're in this, who then is this moment, but they're not looking to Jesus, the God-man. God, put those people in our hearts right now. Give us a name. Give us a face. Help us feel a certain responsibility for that person as our brother and sister. Let us not be selfish, God, and say, well, that's their problem, and that's for them to deal with. No, we're family, Lord. And so, God, as you stir our hearts, bring people to mind and let us come up and say, hey, pray for this loved one of mine. Pray for this friend of mine. Pray for me that I would pray for them.
So Lord, may we not shy away from standing in the gap. Give us faith. Give us courage. And help us say it is well with my soul. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer leaders, would you guys come forward and go to the back and let's cry out to our God. Let's worship him in the storm. Maybe even through tears right now, you'll just say, God, I'm going to trust you. My storm is bad. It's long. It's been, it's been enduring. God, I'm still going to trust you. And let's sing this like we mean this, church. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that, church? Are you ready to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this storm. The lightning is here. God, I'm going to trust you. The clouds are there, but God, you remain. Let's lift our voices. Let's cry out and believe it, family. Let's sing together. So